welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. We had hoped to start a conversation anchored around the book of Revelation, and we probably will get to it. But we thought with all of the things that have been happening in our nation and in our city, uh, we wanted to take some time and just reflect on how do we, who are the disciples of Jesus, think about and respond to the events that have been happening. And um, every time I do this, every time over the years that I've been in situations similar to this, uh, although candidly, with the whole pandemic environment, nobody's been in a situation like this, and it feels like there is this rolling gray cloud that now gets exploded with uh, uh, the, the horrific events that catapulted uh, awareness of, a situations, of situations and problems that have been there for so many decades. Um, and now we want to think, who is going to inform our response? And fortunately, we're disciples of Jesus, so we don't get a choice. Uh, we're not first Republicans or Democrats. We're not first men or women. We're, we're not first anything. We are first part of the image of God. We are first disciples of Jesus. So Jesus gets to inform how we respond to moments like this. So I've trained myself over the years, as I'm sure many of you have, uh, to kind of look around and see where Jesus is at work in these things, because I know that he's at work in these things. He's not immune, he's not distant, he's not absent, he is present with us, even though sometimes he's not doing what we think he should do. So I look to him, and of course he's given us knowing that we're going to be faced with situations like this, torn apart in all kinds of different directions, he's given us this single piece of wisdom that governs our response. Seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. Keep your eyes wide open. Look under every rock, every crack, every crevice to see what might God be doing in this? Who is he weeping with? Who is he grieving with? Who is he lifting up? And we want to seek God's righteousness. Of course, in this highly volatile, highly charged environment, um, it is so hard to say something without saying the wrong thing for somebody else. So I just want to let you know there's a pretty good chance that some of you are going to get offended this morning by some of the things that I'm going to suggest. Some of you maybe get triggered by some of the things that I suggest. Can I ask you a couple things? First, can I ask you to stay through to the end? Don't just check out. <laughs> Second, uh, can I ask you to take what triggered you to Jesus and ask him what he thinks about how you're feeling, how you're reacting, how you're responding? Um, because he too is your Lord. Um, maybe the third thing I could ask is that you have questions. If you have concerns, please, let's talk. Uh, I'd rather you talk to me than talk about me. And so uh, if I can invite you into that, uh, I would really, really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to use an Old Testament passage that speaks to moments like this, uh, societal 
chaos and confusion and challenge and difficulty. Um, and it feels like the center has failed. It feels like um, all of the handles have come off in our hands. We feel somewhat like the, you know, the, the, the car ride at Disneyland, the Autopia, where we're steering for all our might, and only later do we discover the steering wheel's not actually connected to the, to the wheels. We, we're not actually controlling anything. So how, do we, how do we, who are the people of God, deal with, respond to, think about situations like this. And so through the prophet Micah, one of the 8th century Jewish prophets, comes this simple piece of advice. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. That frames our response, not just to moments of crisis like this, but frankly, the entirety of our lives. That's the Old Testament version of seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When we do these things, we are partnering with, we are participating in the answer to our prayer. Now, there are specific things that we want to look at under these, but the first thing we need to know is that this is um, not first an individual charge, it's first a corporate charge. It's all y'alls know what God requires of you. This is not you, we're pretty good at knowing what other people ought to do. Micah, Jesus won't let us off the hook here. <laughs> he invites us not to look in the magnifying glass of somebody else's behavior, but look in the mirror and see how we are responding to this. And it is a communal charge for the entire community. So the church as charged as a community, as the people of God, not to seek for justice, but to do justice. It's not a minor distinction. Clearly, we want to seek for justice. Clearly, there are legal implications to this. Clearly, we uh, want to be uh, uh, pursuing uh, the, the, the right courses of action in, in every uh, avenue that are available to us. But that's not what he says first of all. What he says first of all is that I want you in any and all of your relationship, I want you to do justice. It's a, it's a strong Hebrew word that means, means this idea of righteousness. I want you to do right. I want you to do right. I want you to do as your communities to do right. I want you to do right as an individual. Of course, as individuals, we lean into this and um, land pretty heavily on the side of righteousness. And so here's the question I want to ask. Um, what place, what position, what power do I have in my role in culture, in society, uh, and what would it look like for me out of that place to do justice? Are there people that it's easy for me to ignore because of my place? Micah won't let us get away with it. Jesus won't let us get away with it. If we're going to seek the kingdom of God, if we're going to pray your kingdom come, then whatever place we are in, whatever position we are in, we have a task, we have a responsibility. And that is to do 
justice, to care for those who have no one to care for them, to lift those who are crushed under the burden. So if you're unclear on what that might look like at any given moment, Jesus, again, <laughs> helps us out here. He says, Here's, here, just write this down. Treat other people the way you want them to treat you. It doesn't get more simple than that. Other people, however, also includes those whom you don't think deserve to be treated that way. Remember, we're the follower of one who says at the end of the day, I want you to love your enemies. That's heavy, that's hard, especially when they're in your face, especially when they're doing harm to you and to loved ones, especially when there are anger, is anger erupting that demands outcomes. But if we come at the problems of culture, if we come at the problems of our society as things needing to be fixed first, we will look at God, we will look at the righteousness of God, we will look at the kingdom of God through the lens of our problems rather than looking at those things through the lens of the kingdom of God. And that's what we're invited to as we do justice. It's not about then vengeance. It's not about revenge. It's about doing the right thing for the right reasons. We can't care more about rights or being right than we do about righteousness. It's hard to be right on any given issue and not hurt people with it. He doesn't call us to be right. He calls us to be righteous. Those are different things. They have different behaviors that flow out of them. So many times I find myself like the lawyer. Remember the guy who came to Jesus? Finally, at the end of their conversation, he realized he'd backed himself into a corner. And when Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, he wanted, <laughs> what is the limit of neighboring? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells this wonderful story in which he invites at the end of the day us all to look in the mirror and stop asking, who's my neighbor? And start asking, will I be a neighbor? Do justice. This is why of the, the, the response to Black Lives Matter, if it's all lives matter, misses the point. It's not that it's not true. Of course, all lives matter. But if you follow the heart of Jesus, what you discover, as I do at least, that there are times when some lives matter more than other lives. Remember, he said, I didn't come to those who are healthy. I came to those who are sick. Remember, he left the 99, all lives, to go after the one that was brutalized and beaten and lost. So when our brothers and sisters of color are hurting, their lives matter. Do justice. Now, if, if, if that's triggering for you, if that's, if that's frustrating to you, please, please, please take it to Jesus. Where is he? As he invites you into being a neighbor, not limiting who your neighbor is. What does it mean now for you to do justice, to join him in what he's doing? And you'll please notice the verb here is not a one and done. 
This is an ongoing pursuit. And my hope, my prayer, my longing, as I've prayed through this crisis over the last several weeks, couple weeks, that this catalytic event that triggered this paroxysm of pain and anger and frustration that got hijacked for other purposes in many cases, but nonetheless still has a legitimacy, has a beginning point, this place. My hope, my prayer is that this will catalyze the church finally into an ongoing concern, an ongoing development, an ongoing pursuit of justice. But he doesn't end there. He says, I want you to love mercy. This is a beautiful, rich, deep Hebrew word, chesed. It's the character of God. Sometimes translated loving kindness. Kindness is the, is the foundation for mercy. So we're invited into this. He says, I want you in the moments of your pain to love, to pursue, to chase after mercy, kindness. Please notice, justice and mercy have to go together. They have to be held together. It's not a rigid making of justice occur on the heads of others. It's an invitation, like God did, to become incarnate in one another's pain, to join him at the places of marginalization, to to hang on to one another. It's a covenant term. I don't get to choose who my brothers and sisters are. They have been chosen for me by my Father. I do get to choose, however, whether I will imitate him in my treatment of my brothers and sisters, or whether I will let some other conforming to the world determine that. Mother Teresa says, we have forgotten that we belong to one another. We are, in fact, our brother's keeper. We are concerned. And if nothing else, Jesus makes this very clear in Matthew 25, when he says, at the end of the day, he's everybody's brother. He's everybody's. Where is Jesus in the middle of all of these hard places? Where is Jesus? Hmm. He's on the other side of the line that I have drawn that limits my responsibility. He's on the other side of that, calling me to join him with the poor, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the people who have limited voice. He's called me to join this. Carlos Rodriguez says, as soon as we draw a line to exclude people, Jesus goes to the other side of that line and invites us to join him there. By the way, that gives us a great place to start. When you say the church needs to say something, the church needs to do something, can I remind you? (laughs) You're the church. You're the church. I'm the church. So where do we start? We'll start maybe at the place where you've drawn the line. Maybe you would never use the language of hate. That's fine. Don't don't use that. But who is it have you decided? And by the way, this speaks to both sides of the conflict, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It's not just the ones who were brutalized and beaten. It also speaks to the ones who did the brutalizing and beating. I don't get to choose who my brothers are. Love has to lead the way. Love has to lead the way, otherwise there is no hope for us. Start with love. 
Start with kind, not hard as it is, with truth. Start with kindness. Love makes way for truth. But then he says, justice, mercy held together in this tension, which means y'all walk humbly. Remember, you're all from the same pile of dirt as everybody else. My guess is there are perspectives on issues that you have not even thought about, things that you haven't a, a, a view on. Maybe if you're at all like me, you formed opinions on inadequate information that are solid until some other piece of information comes along. Can we just hold loosely what we know? Remember, we're, remember the story, the three blind guys in the, in the jungle coming across an elephant, each one describing it from their perspectives, a wall, a tree, a snake. They're all right and all wrong. Humility says, let's, let's walk wisely. Let's walk circumspectly. Paul says, learn how to tell time. Don't, don't waste the moments. Pay attention. Pay attention. And of course, this ends up being contextual. We want to be a learning community. We want to be a growing community. We want to be challenging and informing one another. That's why it's so critical that if you disagree, you don't leave. You stay engaged. You stay present. And I'm going to commit myself, and I'm, I know the leadership team does here as well. We won't walk away. We won't keep anybody from walking away if that's what you have to do. But boy, do we need your perspective. We need people who think differently than we do about everything, but who have a prior commitment to let the Lordship of Jesus Christ define how they act and behave how they think about things. We hold loosely our political affiliations. We hold them loosely. We're not first Republican and Democrat. We are first disciples of Jesus. It's yet to be determined if we're Christians or not. Remember, Christian is not first what you believe. Christian is first whether by what you do, you remind people of Jesus. That's what Christian means, Christ-like little Christs. So in and through all of this, the posture of humility is the posture of listening. Really good listening, slow speaking, quick to hear, recognizing that agreement isn't necessary for shared life. We have a common dependence on God and we lean out of that. So I'm not going to make agreement with you and I'm hopeful that you won't make agreement with me on everything, a condition of our fellowship. You're my brother, you're my sister. We all are brothers and sisters because when we make agreement the condition, we miss the heart of God who is so much bigger, so much more beautiful, so much more wonderful than our opinions or perspectives and we want to grow into them. So what do we want to do? We want to train our hearts to see. We want to train our hearts to see. We want to ask Jesus to teach us to see what he sees, to teach us what he knows. We are challenged always to choose sides, to choose and pick a side. And told if we don't pick the right side, then we're wrong. 
I find myself, though, much like Jesus, stretched between two often opposing positions, hung as he was on a cross. That's the role of the peacemaker. That's the role of the church. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.